You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. When are we going to add another sponsor there, Fran? I, I'm I'm ready for uh, another sponsor in that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be it could be anybody. It could Just, be you. It could yeah. be you. Contact, <laughs> call up, let us know that you want to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 103. That is still crazy to me that we broke 100. Yeah. Um, Today, before we really get started, I want to do a little profile piece oh, on one of right. our listeners. Okay. And, um, so we need to find out who is Paradox 27. <laughs> Are they even a real person? I... Are they ever going to show up and claim their prize? <laughs> who is Paradox 27? <laughs> we don't know. We need to find this out. To <laughs> say so many nice things and that they're a listener of the podcast and then poof. Yeah, disappear. Yeah. I better stop that music before <laughs> before we have like copyright infringement. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I, apparently, I think that's from a movie. Now that I'm looking at it, but uh, I don't know what movie it is. I never saw it. So maybe someone will recognize that and be like, "Oh, that's from." I'm call. Well, I'm uh, calling Paramount. Uh, we have Paradox Twenty Seven. We have <laughs> a Yeti tumbler with the uh, Magtite lid, just yeah. with your name on it, yeah. ready to go. Yeah, we, we, we want to give it to you. We chose you randomly. To win our, our 100th our, episode giveaway. All right. How about this? Mm. If if Paradox 27 does not contact us by episode 105, mm-hmm. we pick a new I think we're, we have to. I think, we have I think to give fair. away this, this mug. So, And there were so many deserving people to have the person that was randomly selected not get it. Um, yeah. yeah. Someone needs to get this. So. Okay. I agree. You got two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but a little bit of follow-up from, uh, from some past episodes. Uh this is uh, also the podcast. If you listen to episode one hundred and one, I th- where I rumbled on like um, like an elderly gentleman trying to find out what the heck I was trying to say and saying, "Oh, it's not a meme. It's not a gif. <laughs> what is it, friend? What is it?" I was talking about NFTs gotcha. and how a, a friend of my brother and I he's selling NFTs and the whole idea of planting a tree when you buy an NFT and um, and well, friend's whole article that week was about how some of those projects aren't the best for, for our ecosystems, environment and, and wildlife. So, um, do you, do you, are, are you, do you own any NFTs? I don't own any NFTs. I don't really know how these non fungible tokens really work. Um, I, you know what I, <laughs> with the risk of sounding like old, like I, I have one, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I can access. I don't yeah. even remember how to access it. But I have one, and I don't plan on doing anything with it. And I, you know, I really should give a shout out to this person for their NFTs. I'm gonna have to look up who they are. Did you see that? Because well, I, I thought about buying one because of who it is. But um, did you see that you can make your profile picture on Twitter one of your NFTs? I no, I didn't. Yeah, that's but, uh, yeah. I'll find that out. And um, but in the meantime, it's uh, we got some listener feedback from um, Catherine DeWall, and she wrote in, uh, I think she groggily listened to uh, one of our episodes, when we, or last episode, when we were talking about uh, the book, This Is Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan, and she was like, oh, why are you really picking on coffee when so many of these other 
other industries are monoculture, yeah. like farming and, and corn is a monoculture and and all these other things are destroying so much habitat. And that wasn't so much the author's point. And I, I kind of picked on Fran because I don't drink a lot of coffee and, and, and Fran do. does. So I like to pick on coffee and, and say how, uh, or I like to pick on Fran about his, his coffee habit. But, um, you know, so my, I probably went a little over the top, but yeah. she brought up some really interesting points and in, that are, I, I agree with where, yeah, a lot of agriculture, like you think about, um, oh, I don't want to get too far into tangent about like the, the plant-based meat and how it's, it's just monoculture agriculture where they're growing all this soybeans and to increase that, you need to grow more soybeans and use more herbicides and pesticides and all this stuff. And it's also a GMO crop in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So is that more beneficial than, than just eating steak? I don't know. Well, um, my my complaint with coffee really is is the cost. And mm-hmm. and I know what goes into to producing coffee. It just seems like you can go to the store, you can get ten bananas for two bucks. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so yeah. you can get like two two bundles of bananas, you can go to a produce junction. Um and, and they're not being grown in this country, and they're being harvested, stored, brought here, two bucks. Mm-hmm. But coffee, you're spending sometimes $5 for that cup of coffee for mm-hmm. for a product that it's the water that gets poured over mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the coffee. And yeah. you think about – like it just seems like that you're paying the, five, and you're paying yeah. for the marketing. You're paying for – the craftsmanship you're paying mm-hmm. for the cup. I don't know how much of what you're and paying is really the product. A lot of that stuff. doesn't go back to the farmer. No, too. exactly. But that's agriculture in the United States as a whole. But um, and well, I guess that probably globally as a whole, really. But uh, that was just the interesting takeaway I had. One of the interesting takeaways I had from that book was that concept. Where at least with when you I don't want to say at least with, but with oranges, with bananas, with corn, um, it's a a product that's providing sustenance in some way, not always yeah. to humans, but to other animals. Yeah. It's a product that's providing sustenance where this is a product, coffee and tea, not just coffee, but tea as well, where we're literally transporting it tens of thousands of miles around the world. And people are making tons of money, not the farmers in a lot of cases. They're making tons of money off this stuff um, just so we can pour water over it to leach out the, the addictive uh, drug in it and then consume it to alter our mental state. It's not providing. I don't want to say. I will say much nutritional. It's not benefit. necessary. Yeah, it's it's not necessary. Yeah, you're not going to die if you don't drink your coffee. Although but it might feel like that sometimes. It's it's just crazy. Like as a kid, I remember going to a diner. Now, yeah, I know it's a a, a change in times and paying fifty cents for a bottomless mm-hmm. cup of coffee at a diner. Like yeah. we would when we were in high school, we would we'd go to the diner late at night after you know doing whatever, mm-hmm. and we'd get coffee because it was cheap. And sit there and talk and drink coffee yeah. all night. Now, you're not doing that. Well, you can, but like mm-hmm. if you were to buy a, a Starbucks coffee every day, that's a pretty like oh yeah, that's a that's a good yeah. chunk of change. Mm-hmm. So, a little fun fact about coffee, by the way, is you have arabica beans and robusta beans. You know the difference, Fran? I don't. It's arabica beans are I I don't know exactly all the differences, but they are more flavorful. Okay. Um, and. Uh, I have a, I don't want to say ro- more robust flavor, but they have more like fruity notes. And when you hear about like when you go to a coffee bar and they have all the different like mm-hmm. notes that you'll taste, they're usually going to be Arabica beans because they're just, uh, well, they're more flavorful, uh, but lower in their caffeine. 
where Robusta beans have more caffeine, but it can be kind of like nasty tasting. Yeah. So when you get, you like go to a diner, a gas station, you're getting coffee, they're usually going to have Robusta beans. Little trick of the trade here. Dark roast is uh, basically just so they can cover up the darker you roast it, the more you can hide some of those <laughs> um, more pungent and uh, notes of or flavors that you're not going to like as much. So lighter roast or with Arabica beans, or you're going to have different kinds of flavors and, Really cool. That's uh, at least that's what I heard that's from awesome. people who know about coffee. Yeah. So, but, <laughs> you know, I drink it, but I don't yeah. know a whole lot. I just, you yeah. know, it's to me where I I think it gets silly. And like I said, I I'm a you you know I'm a huge mm-hmm. coffee drinker. I love coffee. Um, when people complain about the price of gas or the price of oil, yeah, yeah, you were and then and it's just too. like, do you realize how much you're spending on this? But you have a problem with this and what it costs to like you're drilling. You're refining, mm-hmm. like all these refineries. There's there's a danger aspect of it. Like there's all these things, and it miraculous, miraculously powers your vehicles, mm-hmm. and then no one thinks about what yeah the cost of coffee is. They yeah. because they just like it and they want it. Yeah, but we have issues in our agricultural systems around the world. We've touched on them here and there. Even I'm thinking about Dr. Enrique Sala um, and talk about regenerative agriculture and some of the people he talked to. I think in Scotland, I want to say, yeah. but um. And I'm really fascinated with that whole idea of regenerative agriculture, and I'm I'm hopeful that it's scalable. I hear people say it's scalable up to a point where you're tying in a lot of these ecosystems together, or not ecosystems, but the whole food chain together, and the cattle are replenishing the soil, and then the soil is filling the plants and making, so you're kind of using all the components and making it like an ecosystem, yeah. so you can have, you're using less land to have a lot more productivity off that land. And you're not monoculture, disking, tilling, Spraying. fertilizing, herbicide, uh, big mechanical harvest. You're making it more of an ecosystem, even if it's not always native species. Well, it's funny, but, and you weren't here for it, but we just had this conversation in yeah. the office before the podcast, and if it's scalable. Like, yeah. At oh, what, yeah. To what point is it scalable? Yep. Yep. You know, so I don't know. Yeah. So, but that was, um, Catherine, thank you for writing in. I'm sorry I haven't responded to your second email yet. I, we, we're busy. So, yeah, it's, so it's with our with our busy season. So I wanted to make sure I thoroughly read through everything that you sent so I could respond to it. So I will be doing that sometime. Probably by the time you listen to this, I'll have responded. But at the time of recording this, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to do That's Hot? Yeah, let's do it. All right. That's hot. I think I went first last week. You want to go yeah. first? Yeah. So this week I'm choosing something we don't grow, Fran, and that is uh, Golden Ragwort or Packer Aria. Oh, nice, and, um, very nice. So a little bit, I like I like the, the Jersey Friendly Yard, little snippets of information about them, so I'm going to read that. Awesome. And basically says, this versatile and easy-to-grow flowering ground cover offers early spring blooms and year-round lush green foliage. Small yellow daisy-like flowers create a burst of color in March and April. Flowers are attractive to early emerging bees and butterflies. Large plantings create a stunning carpet of yellow in early spring. Uh, once the flowers die back, the basal foliage, foliage and uh, continues to provide a backdrop of green. Uh, the plants form contact, compact colonies in moist, shady, or semi-shady locations. Uh, uses a living mulch beneath your summer blooming flowers, shrubs, and trees. Semi-evergreen foliage provides winter interest. Great choice for rain gardens, woodland gardens, along freshwater stream beds, and lining shady borders. Golden ragwort is native to New Jersey with a range that extends through the northeast. Nice. So Great choice. We don't grow it. And I always wondered why, because it is somewhat of a wetland plant. I think it's wetland indicator says it's fact wet. but uh, And it's getting really popular in gardening circles. 
Um, I don't know if it's native here. I don't know to what extent. Yeah, because it's it's available, but I never it's, see it on plans. And I've for never seen it. Not that I'm like a, a I'm an amateur botanist when I go out and hike. Um, so I'm still walking. I don't know. I'll notice stuff, but I'm not always. I haven't been looking for it for the last many years. But I've never noticed it in those kind of conditions when I've been walking through through areas. At least we're right where we are. Yeah, but uh, but it's probably because of my ignorance that I haven't noticed it, and not well, because it's not there in some cases. Well, let's throw this out to some of our Jersey listeners. Mm-hmm. If you've come across, and we've done this in the past, if you've come yeah. across uh, uh, golden ragwort in nature in some of your favorite natural places, uh, take a picture and put it on the Facebook yeah. page. Let us know where you uh, have seen it. That'd yeah, be wonderful. But from a gardening perspective, I just added this to my garden uh, last fall, and it's starting to come up. Are the flowers the most beautiful flowers you've ever seen? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. But it's blooming in in early April and even end of March, which there's not a lot of things that are doing uh, like that. Like flocks, like in yeah. in our in our property, flocks is blooming right now. But there's not a whole lot else blooming. And then for me, the big thing was creating that green mulch layer, having something that's like six to twelve inches above the ground that kind of is going to just. Um, in my case, be fairly aggressive and fill up that space and allow some things to grow through it. Uh, I've heard some stories where it got a little bit too aggressive and hard to control. So um, I haven't reached that point yet, but maybe in three or four years I'll be there. But uh, but no, that was one of the things I, I'm looking at. It, I'm like, wow, this is really going to work. Those things are taking off where some of the other stuff we planted has not been uh, as vigorous so far. But then it is the first spring for a lot of this stuff. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, awesome. I'm Great enjoying choice. it so far. Great choice. Uh, so mine is something that we grow, and I, I happen to notice it uh, while out on the nursery. And I, actually, there were a few things blooming that I could have chosen. Like mm-hmm. black chokeberry is looking yeah. really, really good right now, uh, Photinia melanocarpa. But I am going with lowbush blueberry, which is Vaccinium angustifolium. Um, if you're unfamiliar of the difference between highbush blueberry and lowbush blueberry, obviously one is low and one is high, but – Lowbush blueberry is a, a facultative upland species, and highbush blueberry is a wetland species. So um, lowbush blueberry is a low-growing shrub uh, forming dense colonies on dry, sterile soils. The sweet edible fruit and deep red stem and leaf color uh, – it has deep red stems and leaf color in the fall. It gets about one to two foot tall. Um, the flowers are cross-pollinated primarily by various bees includes, including uh, adrenate bees, uh, bumblebees, and honeybees. Um, both the nectar and pollen are available as floral rewards. Mm-hmm. And it's – for us in New Jersey, you, you see it a lot in the Pine Barrens as mm-hmm. understory, uh, almost like a, a tall ground cover uh, where it's, it's taken a lot of the understory and it provides fantastic habitat for, for small uh, mm-hmm. wildlife as well. Yeah, yeah. So, good choice. Yeah, but it just happens to be blooming now and it's that traditional – blueberry flower and yeah. it's oh, yeah. uh, you know i just happened to walk by a crop of 2000 of them and go, yeah and they're it's just amazing how loaded it gets with flowers and how almost like inconspicuous those flowers can be for yeah. how many there are yes and then when you get closer like oh my god <laughs> there's so many yeah and then you can't miss them once you see them exactly as exactly. A, that was just described to us as a the same thing with morel mushrooms, which I still have not found one yet. <laughs> but a, a friend of ours said, "Oh yeah, we have a bunch at our our farm, and it's, it's like, like once you see them, once you like, see them, they're all over the place. But yeah. until you see them, you they, you just don't find them. Oh. So, so you haven't found any yet. No, uh-huh. I got tricked the other day, and I showed you that picture yeah. where um I found that three year old. I'm a, I'm estimating, but I think like a three year old 
uh, sweet gum seed ball, like yeah. the spiny balls. So all the spines kind of erode and it just kind of looks like a black wind with white margins, hollow yeah. thing like a black morel would look like. And, uh, yeah, a couple of those tricked me when I'm walking around. But I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do it. Oh, no, no, just a, just a used-up old seed head. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but two great choices. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with them, uh, give them a look. And I think either either one contains good merit for a garden plant. Yeah. If, as long as you have the right environment. So, so. And we're, we're going to move along to this or that. But before yep. we do that, yes. I've realized I don't think I ever said the name of my friend's um, oh, NFT oh, thing. Please. And that is the – it's called the Chubby Anxiety Society. And I think nice. you can just find it right at that that URL. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah, very, and he's got some cool. cool little things up there. If, if you're into NFTs, that's a cool one. And you're supporting someone who I know. Very, and, uh, very cool. That might mean more to you. <laughs> maybe you'll know them too, and then uh, then that'll definitely mean more to you. You're supporting a friend. There you go. There you go. All right, you ready for this or that? Yes. All right. You can get with this, or you can get with that. We do have a winner. Uh, the articles from episode uh, 101 were mine on our tree planting is always the best solution, and Tom's uh, what would you say? Like more opinion piece on no mo month. Yes. On the merits um, of no yeah. mode or the, yep. the lack of merits. And I want no a recount. All right. Well, we do have a, we do have a winner. And it's my first win of the year. I think largely due to sympathy vote, but uh I don't I think you actually had a much better article than I did. Um and I think you did a better job elaborating on your article than I did. I don't think it was a sympathy vote, but but I do want to say I, I won seventeen to two and out of the nineteen votes, eighteen people had listened to the podcast mm-hmm. and put vote only one person and it was one of your votes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is a kind of interesting given the content of your article. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. And uh, so but ev- I want to thank everyone for for throwing the vote in the the comment. We're not going to do that again. But I was just curious, yeah. but it was nice to see how many people did this this time. But I never do this, but I'm going to choose to go first. Oh, I know. oh, you never do that? Yeah, don't you I always go last? To, no, you choose to go first every time. Oh, oh, I make okay. you go last. Guess what? I, I'm going to go first. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to go first. So um, my article, and I saw this floating around on on Facebook uh, for the last week because uh, it's it's by the Associated Press. So it's been in a few different outlets. So, And the name of this article is Even After Earth Day, Plant Native Plants Practice Benign Neglect. This is by uh, Jessica uh, Damiano. And I had seen it on my journal courier.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just going to read it. It's not a very long article, but it does talk about a lot of the things that we talk about all the time. And I think it was a great article outlining a lot of these uh, beginning factors for people that aren't familiar with it. So does your idea of the perfect garden include abundant plants that thrive with relatively little human in- intervention? Do they attract and support all kind of pollinators? Sounds like a dream. And you can make it real by planting native plants. Native plants don't need a lot of extra watering or fertilizing because they are already growing in the conditions they're adapted to. Likewise, they provide food for native insects and birds. Planting non-native plants can create a food desert for native pollinators. Check with your county's cooperative extension office or other online resources to find out which plants are native in your area. Picture this. You step into your garden and the beds are brimming with flowers that thrive on benign neglect. You seldom need to water them. And they don't require much in the way of fertilizer either. What's more, you feel like snow white as birds, bees, butterflies congregate around you eating seed and gathering pollen. 
It feels like a dream, but it doesn't have to be. If your idea of the perfect garden includes abundant plants that do well with leaf, why did that get? I I, I don't know why that. <laughs> I just realized that the paragraph duplicated. Oh, you, yep. I already read that. Uh, the first step is to lure pollinators, which are necessary for the production of flowers, fruits, and vegetables. The best way to attract them is by using plants that support them. Our native insects and birds evolved alongside our native plants, so they naturally recognize them as food. Non-native species, exotic plants from Asia, Africa, South America, and Europe, and to some degree from distant regions of the U.S., are simply not recognized as food sources by native pollinators. Planting them creates food deserts for native bees, birds, bats, butterflies, moths, and beetles, all of which are necessary for a healthy ecosystem. Doug Tallamy, a professor of entomology at the University of Delaware and author of Bringing Nature Home, How You Can Sustain Wildlife with Native Plants at Timber Press in 2007, found that non-native plant species disrupt the food chain, which can lead to a collapse of the ecosystem. Plant choice matters, he said. The plants we choose to landscape our properties with should be determined by how much life can live there. Sorry. If you think about if you think about it, our lives depend entirely on insects. Without them, we would have no flowering plants, which would dismantle the food web that supports vital animals. Birds, for instance, depend on plants for food and disperse their seed while keeping the populations of harmful insect in check. Insects support plants that provide oxygen, clean our water, capture carbon, and add it to the soil to enrich it. This builds topsoil and prevents flooding. Without them, the biosphere, the living portion of the earth, which includes soil, would rot due to the loss of insect decomposers. And humans simply couldn't survive that, Ptolemy says. In addition to providing food and habitat for insects and other wildlife, native plants are perfectly acclimated to growing in your region, so they don't require much maintenance. That means less watering, less fertilizing, less fussing. They've been doing quite nicely growing wild by the side of the road, thank you, and we'll do the same in your backyard. The good news is we get to decide what we plant on our own gardens. So as we celebrate the 52nd anniversary of the first Earth Day on April 22nd, let's resolve to plant more natives. Start your journey with help from the following resources. And they do list um, Lady Bird Johnson Wildlife Center, uh, Bone Apps, the Biota of North America Program, the Xerces Society, Audubon Native Plants Database, and your county's Cooperative Extension. So they, they list uh, all the resources that we mm-hmm. tout constantly yeah. uh, on the yeah. podcast um, and not on the podcast. So yeah. um, I just thought it was a great, great way to just – Grab people's attention saying, hey, you can plant whatever you want. Planting native plants will make a difference. Here's some of the ways. Because mm-hmm. I, I love that they give you the resources because so many times you read something and you don't know where to go. Yep. And I just like that they kind of point you to the the best resources that can mm-hmm. kind of help everyone and, and just go over the basis of And that's it. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really just to-the-point article to the about point. how we often forget about a lot of this stuff. And it's, it's right here in front of our faces. And – we we go and celebrate Earth Day, and then then it's just back to yeah. It's a one day celebration, yeah. and but it's, you don't. Ha- it shouldn't be that way. Every day and, can um, be Earth Day. Speaking of which, I meant that I meant to add that to follow up too. <laughs> we had an episode that actually <laughs> on, aired on, Earth, on Day, Earth Day, and we forgot to mention it was actually Earth Day. I, you know, <laughs> I realized that the day before. Actually, as we were recording it, yeah. it popped up on my computer as a reminder. Mm-hmm. That the next day was Earth Day, and I was, <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> and you chose not to say anything. <laughs> no, yeah, I thought it was better. To <laughs> but realistically, in in our field of work, I think Arbor Day is coming up too. Yeah, but uh, it might even be. Is it today? I don't know. It's coming uh, up. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. But um, in our line of work, it is like every day is Earth Day. We're always yeah. trying to make these choices and and be as conscious as possible. So it's like. I don't know. It's it's never yeah. been something I've been 
like a big no, celebration I feel, I, guy anyway. I, I support it 100%, yeah. but we kind of live that every day is Earth Day. Arbor so. Day, on the other hand, Fran wants to take that down. <laughs> it's all about Graminoid Day. <laughs> We're starting Graminoid Day. That's that's it. No, but uh, that was a good article. Thank you. What do you have this so, week? Uh, I have uh, – what do I have? I have an article that I, I really cut a lot out of because it was fairly long. Um, and I can't remember where on Facebook I saw it, but it was someone – I don't remember. Someone shared it. It got my attention, and I said, well – why don't I share it here? And uh, and it was a tough competition this week because there were so many in our group. There yeah. are so many articles posted about like how dandelions really aren't that great and all that yeah. stuff. What I was harping on last time, um, and I really wanted to do one of those again and just go for even less votes than two. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever gotten less? I don't think so. Uh, but, I, um, I think it's possible. I know there was one where I got barely any votes. Yeah. But uh, no, it's. Uh, I think that was uh, – the discussions I've seen, they're really good. I guess my reason for not liking the no-mo months as much is I don't want to happen what I think is going to happen with, like, Save the the Save the Bees campaign where we're really just paying attention to honeybees. Yeah. And then eventually we're going to hit a point where it's like, oh, no, no, but that's not what we – we don't we don't care so much about honeybees as we do native bees. And you're going to have all these people who have been latching on to the Save the Bees and be like, oh, so we've been doing this wrong. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to – like you're, I don't, I just don't care anymore. And it's the same thing with yeah. wish cyclers who are, they're recycling and they're like, oh, I don't. It makes me feel better when I put it in the recycling. So, even though if it's not recyclable, and now you have to throw out that whole thing because you put your pizza box in there. Yes. Um, and I could just see the same thing happening, like I think is going to happen with the the no mo campaigns, um, and the honeybee campaign or the save the bees campaigns. I feel like it will happen with the no mo campaigns where it's like. Oh, so I'm not actually helping? Okay, well, I'm just going to start mowing my lawn and continue to plant non-native plants. Yeah. I don't think it's going to tie together as as well as maybe people intended to. But I, we'll see. I I'm, I could be completely wrong. I, I just want to add that back in December, you beat me 7-0. to zero. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So I've never gotten shut out, friend. <laughs> I've gotten uh, shut out. There you go. I've gotten walloped, but I've never gotten <laughs> shut out. So, but uh, but the article I did chose uh, choose was uh, in uh, what's it Yale three or E three sixty, and um, it was called "Why Are Nature Based Solutions on Climate Being Overlooked?" and uh, and it really had a global view of a lot of this stuff. So I'm going to read uh, a fair amount of it, and then I'm going to provide some of my um, takeaways as well. All right, sounds but, good. So on the low-lying northern shore of the Indonesian island of uh, Java, the sea has invaded a, a kilometer inland in places in these recent years, engulfing whole communities and vast expanses of, of rice paddy. But villagers are fighting back against further advances by erecting uh, brushwood barriers in the mud to help the natural regeneration of mangroves. The innovative nature-based response to rising sea levels or worsening storms, sponsored by the Indonesian government and Dutch-based environmental group Wetlands International, could be scaled up across Asia. Within a decade, it could be helping at least 10 million people in similar situations to protect and restore the denuded coastlines, all at a fraction of the cost of seawalls, said Jane uh, Madgwick, CEO of Wetlands International. But it can do that only if local projects are developed and the financing secured, and so far, she says, progress has been slow. Lives, livelihoods, and coastlines are being lost as a result, and so it goes. There are a growing number of uh, analyses that re- and reviews of the effectiveness of habitats as natural defenses, writes uh, Siddharth uh, Narian, now of East Carolina University, 
hundreds of local projects to restore ecosystems on coastlines and mountains and river valleys and forests uh, and grassy plains have proved their worth in using restored nature to boost the resilience of millions of people to the ravages of onrushing climate change. Most are cheaper and more effective than any engineering alternatives with more spinoff benefits for ecosystems and fewer downsides, but the political will and funding that could turn pilot projects for nature-based climate ad- adaptation into policy norms benefiting hundreds of millions uh, more people are still largely absent. Nature-based climate adaptation remains the poor relation of climate finance. First, that's because of private investors, philanthropists, aid agencies, and development banks that are usually happy to pay for climate mitigation projects that curb emissions of planet warming gases uh, than for helping communities adapt to climate change. Overall, adaptation of all kinds has so far attracted less than a quarter, and by some measures, only 5% of international climate funding, according to Barbara Buckner of the Climate Policy Initiative, a San Francisco-based think tank. And secondly, uh, because policymakers and funders still mostly prefer engaging or engineering solutions, Holland found that less than 10% of funding for climate adaptation in the least developed nations, which are usually the most vulnerable, went into projects that harnessed uh, that harness nature. The remaining 90% basically poured concrete. Wow. Um, and that's why a little concept, I have more to read, but a little concept okay. we talk or term we have is green infrastructure is like plant-based solutions. And then, um, then you have gray infrastructure is, is I don't want to say man-made, but typically concrete metal, yeah. those kind of solutions. So, um, it was, I just loved how they wrote poured concrete in there. Cause we see, yeah. see that a lot. So, uh, governments in Glasgow promised to close the funding gap between adaptation and mitigation by doubling adaptation funding earlier this month, climate finance chiefs from leading, uh, leading funding governments met in Finland to discuss and how to achieve this, but official reports of the meeting record little discussion of the need for more nature-based projects. Instead, the main topic was to seek uh, ways to give the private sector a bigger role in adaptation finance. Um, This could be a step back for nature since in the past, private financers have been even less keen on nature-based solutions than public sector donors, says Madrick. Uh, The casebook of successful nature-based adaptation is growing fast, perhaps. Uh, best documented are the benefits from restoring coastal ecosystems such as mangroves to protect coastal communities from storm waves, tidal surges, and rise, uh, rising sea levels, which are all increasing as climate change gathers pace. Uh, the world has lost half of its mangroves along shorelines, but those that remain are protecting some 18 million people and ser- uh, several tens of billions of dollars worth of property from flooding every year. This is Michael Beck, a marine scientist at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Their importance can only grow. Unlike seawalls, mangroves appear to keep pace with rising sea levels. Uh, self-seeding inland to maintain their barriers against storms and tidal surges and nurturing marine fisheries. Some policymakers get the message. Zach Goldsmith, a British environmental uh, environment minister with a brief uh, for foreign aid, told the committee of parliamentarians last year, you tend to get much more bang for your buck in nature-based solutions. Investing in nature was his default position because he was, uh, it was capable of simultaneously, simultaneously dealing with mitigation, adaptation, poverty, and a whole bunch of other issues, he said. Ensuring the adaptation funds go to bolstering ecosystems would also measurably improve the chances of meeting international targets for conserving 30% of the Earth's lands and waters, which are set for an agreement for the next meeting of the Convention of Biological Diversity in Kuming, China, later this year. Seddon says nature-based adaptation can simultaneously help meet uh, the three great challenges of our time, responding to climate change, protecting biodiversity, and ensuring human well-being. But right now, the opportunities for delivering these synergies are still going begging. Uh, which is interesting because in from our point of view, where we're we're dealing with these nature-based solutions on a day-to-day basis, yes. I am shocked to hear that that's how little of the money, like 5 to 25% of the money into climate change solutions is going to this. Because it seems like it's a whole lot more than that. 
Um, especially, I just went to a, a meeting and saw actually a couple yeah. of people listening to this podcast at this meeting for uh, the Society of uh, American Military Engineers. A lot of people from the Army Corps of Engineers mm-hmm. uh, talking about coastal resilience. And man, this is what we're talking about: is we need more salt marshes. We we need them yeah. all up and down the East Coast of New Jersey or the East Coast including New Jersey, the Delaware Bay, Jamaica Bay, around New York City. We need salt marshes. We need things that are going to protect. Uh, there was even a, a slide I took a picture of saying that areas that had salt marshes in front of them uh, protecting their shores during Hurricane Sandy sustained 70% less damage than just having not just uh, like not having no infrastructure, but any other thing, like even, even seawalls, storm walls, those kind of things. If you didn't have salt marsh or some kind of green infrastructure in front of it, it was there was seventy percent more lost. I remember having the argument with someone over uh, Margate, which is a beach mm-hmm. in in South Jersey, um, because Governor Christie at the time, after Hurricane Sandy, wanted them to remove their their barrier wall, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "That's what protected it." And I'm like, "Yeah, but it also destroyed the." The beach one, yeah. one down, da- one further down. I'm trying to remember, not Ventnor, mm-hmm. that's north of it, but I can't remember what the uh, the the beach south of that mm-hmm. is. I'm like that that seawall, the energy it created destroyed that one, yeah. even though they were better suited because of that. Like you can't, you, you're again, you're putting a band aid on mm-hmm. something, you're not fixing it. And yeah. salt marshes to fix now. What I find interesting as we we hit climate change and you see that sea level rise. How many of our barrier islands are s- small enough that that sea lot? Maybe those yeah. barrier I- islands don't exist. Oh yeah, in, in, yeah. You know, Although in there's 50 a, years. a new island uh, called Horseshoe Island that's appeared just south of um, of Long Beach Island, okay. in New Jersey. But it's more because of the tide change. Yeah, and then it just accumulated enough sand that there's an island. It looks like a, a horseshoe shape, right, just right. south. And it's it's some people but, are really upset because they used to when it was just kind of like a sandbar that was out during low tide yeah. they used it to party and now that it's a complete island they aren't allowed on it anymore so some people <laughs> are really upset, upset. but I, um yeah I, no it's i i find it interesting because you know, one of the the biggest industry arguments i ever saw was at a conference in the chesapeake bay mm-hmm. and it was someone saying the function of a bay is to fill in mm-hmm. yeah but we spend all this money to, 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 to dredge it, it yeah. to keep it a bay and that's not the natural function of mm-hmm. a bay Yep. So you're trying to restore the beauty of it, but you're not. You're ruining the yeah. the the purpose. Yeah. And I think of all the money that gets spent to bring sand back to these barrier islands that kind of wash away or get you know, there's a lot of money kind of maintaining and then you have these poor countries where they're just like, eh, you know, we'll throw we'll throw gray infrastructure in. Yeah. Oh man, I'm trying to think of that. That Luna Leopold quote, the all the Leopold son, um, and it was like uh, rivers are are the arteries of which continents drain or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or it, it was basically saying yeah. how sediment runs down and fills in yeah. the bays in a, a roundabout way. Yeah. But um, now we we fluvial we geomorphologist, by the way, uh, yes. one of my favorite job positions. <laughs> I should have been one. But as we we accelerate that erosion, mm-hmm. oh yes, yeah. with with our man made yeah. issues, but. Mm-hmm. It's I don't know. That's just my little my little yeah, so, ten cents on it. So when I read it, I was surprised that like being in our industry that it's that low. But at the same time, I can kind of understand it because oh, with all your green infrastructure comes a lot of gray infrastructure. So if you want a living shoreline, 
and you want it to be successful, there's some gray infrastructure that goes along with it. You're putting in some, I don't want to say riprap, but um, you'll put in like a, a, I'm blanking on the term. A lot of times they'll build a like a seawall, not a seawall, basically a rock structure yeah. that's out. Like a, a riprap, like a breakwater. A breakwater, break that's what it's called. Just to kind of divert or break some Confuse of that energy, energy yeah. so it's not uprooting the plants. Yeah. Um, and why a like a rock structure like that or a multi-surfaced area or structure like that is better than just a wall is because when you have a wall, it's coming in with force and it's going out with equal force until with, the wall with great, actually with greater force. <laughs> collapses. Actually. Yeah. So um, where we have multiple structures, it's still going to have the same amount of cumulative force, but it's going in multiple different directions. Yeah. Um, I was given a, a talk one time and they were, Saying, oh, yeah, when the stuff hits the seawall, it always it ends up going, like, up. And I was like, well, that's in part designs because now you're dealing with gravity. is yeah. <laughs> slowing yeah. it down. It's not just the water that's coming in and, and all this other stuff. But, um, but yeah, so there's – I know we've talked to customers are and say, oh, yeah, like, when you come down to it, the plants account for, like, 1% of our budget. Yeah. And they're the most visible and maybe the most – what we would call the most important part. But – they're often the most overlooked and under budget. I don't want to say under budgeted, but there aren't a very costly part of the, no, the whole solution. But, but those marshes don't exist without the plant material. And mm-hmm. and a perfect example, if you've ever seen like a, a water inlet into a drainage uh, basin where they put rock mm-hmm. where the water is and then there's plants or they might use like a bushy plant first. Yeah. That's what that is basically doing is diffusing the energy. The mm-hmm. water is hitting it. It's slowing it down. It's spreading it out. Um, over a larger mm-hmm. area and slowing it down. And that's what a marsh basically does. Yeah. Like it, it captures that energy, it slows it down, and it, it, yeah. it lets it go out slowly. So mm-hmm. it's just on a large scale. But that's what protected us before we removed them. Mm-hmm. Without it, I don't know. We yeah. wouldn't have jobs. Yeah, no, we definitely, <laughs> definitely wouldn't have jobs. But, um, yeah, it's a uh, – I wish uh, more would come of it. But I, I can kind of understand because – it's um, from a, a financer's perspective, what's going to be, like, sexier is, like, oh, if I can say I'm cutting down on all the submissions, one, it's I don't even know how you necessarily realistically prove it. I know you can do calculations yeah. and, and provide a probably a pretty close estimate, but I don't know how you can say, oh, I'm actually I'm actually putting out this less emissions. Here's what. But, here. um, and then, like, hard structures are just more visible. It's like, but, or you're walking up to a natural place that was installed and say, "Oh yeah, look what look what we did." A lot of people are gonna be like, "Oh, it doesn't look like anything." Because they're plant blind. What surprises me is from from New York City to Miami, that coastline on the East Coast mm-hmm. is some of the most expensive real estate on oh, the yeah. East Coast, and there should be the money there to protect it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that doesn't really get protected the way it should get protected. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know why that is because there's a lot of people with a lot of money invested oh, yeah. with, with oceanfront houses. And that's why I've, I don't remember the exact totals, but like Hurricane Sandy was like a very, I don't want to say low-level hurricane, but it wasn't a very strong hurricane as compared to Hurricane Katrina that hit yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Orleans. But the dollar figure, the amount of damage was, uh, if not, I think it was a lot greater if it wasn't just greater. And it's because of how expensive the things are and also because of how expensive it is to fix things in our area versus in other areas yeah. of the country. But, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, why aren't we protecting more? But it, it was also interesting to see this is happening globally. It's not just happening here yeah. in 
in the U.S. So, no, it's just thought-provoking. Um, maybe not as thought-provoking as, as dandelions, but... No, no but I was <laughs> I, what I was saying was, like, we have the money to protect those areas, and they're not getting mm-hmm. protected properly. Yeah. You know, and then you have places which have even less money to do it, mm-hmm. and it's, it's you know, it's... I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just weird but, that it's gone all this time. And this was something I want to bring up, and I'm glad you just said that, because otherwise I would have forgotten and we would have moved on. Is um, with the infrastructure bill that it was yeah. very, very hotly contested in in our our legislative system. Um, the infrastructure bill is designating like billions of dollars to the coastal resilience. Coastal resilience. Now, a lot of that is also going to be gray infrastructure, but a lot of it's green inf- infrastructure too, and uh, a lot of it's like combo stuff. I know there was a, a guy from um, at that meeting who's giving a presentation. He's talking about something they're doing in Hoboken. And he's like, well, we got to make it look attractive because there's restaurants there, and there's you got to have something that's attractive to people. And so it it just becomes a part of Hoboken, and it fits their color scheme, and it fits like the the area, but it's also providing this coastal resilience and including some green infrastructure as well. Um, yeah, it was just a really fascinating thing, and the stuff they're doing up uh, at Liberty State Park, and there's there's a lot of really awesome things that are coming to uh, really the whole country but especially the northeast yeah. we the see it in, yeah we see it directly because of our work and um and i can't say this but i know there's a lot of people from all over the country here who work for nonprofits that are always looking for grant money and um there's a representative from uh Nif- NIFWIF, NIFWIF. Uh, national fish and wildlife fund at this meeting talking about how much more funding they have this year versus past year actually the next five years versus past years and um and they have a new program that's going to launch next month in may that uh that's Sounds really cool, and I think a lot of people will be able to, in those kind of areas that look for grants, it's something that they're going to be able to to apply for, and, and a lot of people will be able to get. And that's nationwide, this one awesome. program's happening. Awesome. Very, very cool. But I'm not going to say what it is because uh, I, don't I don't know if me. I'm supposed to yet. I don't blame <laughs> so. you. But two great articles. We're going to post them on the Facebook, uh, Facebook uh, group this mm-hmm. weekend, and you get to vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. All right, listener shout-outs? Yes. All right. Listener, listener, shout-out, shout-out, shout-out. I, I want you to go first just because I, I want to hear more about what you have written on this paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, so on Sunday, I uh, I so I have my other company, Pinelands Direct yeah. Native Plants, which is uh, like a retail uh, separate company, yeah. but we sell – we basically buy plants from Pinelands Nursery and sell them retail primarily online. But every once in a while, we'll do plant sales. We haven't for the last two years, which has been really eye-opening, saying, wow, I don't – we got so busy. I don't know if I have time for plant sales. But yeah. this was one where we got invited and said, you know what? It's a, only a two-hour window. I can go do that. Um, so I went and did it, and a lot of people were there really excited about native plants. It was through the Rancocas chapter of oh, the, awesome. the New Jersey yeah. Native Plant Society um, at Trinity – Episcopal Church in Moorestown. Okay. Um, and they just had a great job. They had uh, Dr. Randy Eccles speak there. She was also selling plants. Uh, Joe from Summer Sweet Native Plants was selling plants there as well. Just a really good event. It was just, it was compact. I've been to plant sales right there all day and yeah. it just drags out. And um, this was, it was nice and compact and concise and the right people were there and everyone was really passionate and it went to a good cause for the church as well. But uh, I met a bunch of listeners there. Um, so, and I didn't 
remember all the last names or even in some cases all their names. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best to cover right. the at least the three people I remember. And that was uh, Molly, who was saying that she watches our Instagram. And she's like, oh, I was just watching you this morning. That's what a really interesting way to greet yeah, someone, yes. by the way. Yeah. You say, oh, yeah, I was just watching you on Instagram. <laughs> I was just watching you. Um, and then uh, it was Molly's sister-in-law who's actually introduced Molly to me. Okay. And, but I, I can't remember a name for the life of me. But she was both of them were super, super nice awesome. and uh, great to talk to. Um, you had Nancy who listens, who um, okay. I think we've been getting a shout out to before. And then uh, two others who weren't at the sale, but they're they're on my my uh, dandelion. They're on like team no dandelion. <laughs> I need to think of a better name for our, our crew. And that was uh, Kevin Moriarty and Rob Meters, who both posted awesome. in the Facebook group talking about how we can overvalue dandelions. And I know um I'm I'm not even the leader of this group. It's actually uh Benjamin Vogt. He's yes. he's definitely the like the the king of our president well, of our group. And uh, maybe I'm, he, well, I'm might be on the like the committee, but I'm maybe I'm like the assistant treasurer or something <laughs> like that. But, awesome. Those are great shout outs. I have one uh Melinda Soltis, who is a, a new member of our Facebook group. But I was just really inspired. Uh, she's working on creating legislation in Virginia, protecting homeowners' rights to environmentally uh, and wildlife-friendly landscaping. So like how to approach homeowners associations where they don't allow some of these things. And she uh, mentioned some of the things that she was working on and asked for some advice on how she can go about researching some of this mm -hmm. to take the next step. So I thought that was very inspiring, uh, and her post was met with uh, – really nice cheerfulness yeah. from our mm -hmm. members and we welcome you to the Facebook group and thank you for listening. That's wonderful. Yeah. No, right. yeah, we've had a lot of good interactions on the the Facebook group lately. So it's yeah. been, it's been fun to see, even if we can't chime in as much as we want, yeah. but uh, no, it's been good. Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. We're, we're just shy of a thousand members mm -hmm. now. So it's, uh, I love seeing that. Um, all right. I, I have no complaints. I don't think anyone's called in the, the question line. We got a call today just oh, before we look came at in. That. You, so I'm wildly unprepared. All though. right. You ready to hear yes, it? Yes. All I, right. Let's listen. Yes, I have to be ready. <laughs> Hi, Tom and Fran. This is Carolyn from New Jersey. And this time I don't have a question. I just have a comment. And I wanted to say that I am so thrilled with all the work that you two have been doing I know that I met you in 2020, in the beginning of 2020, and got to know your podcast then in the beginning, and it has grown so much, and it is such an absolute pleasure to listen to. I learn something every single time. I love the way you two banter back and forth. It always brings a smile to my face. I always, always learn something new. And I'm just really grateful for you both and all the wonderful information that you bring out into the world. So I just wanted to say thank you. I don't even know how to react to that. Yeah, I'd say let's give her a, a Yeti mug. <laughs> we already did. <laughs> she already has yeah. one. You know, and and what's funny is I look at Carolyn for, – for our listeners that maybe didn't pick this out, this is Carolyn Clabin. She's been a two-time guest on the podcast yeah. for Women in Ecology and also uh, Meet the Sourland Conservancy. And Carolyn is doing such work – such great work doing outreach to children and mm -hmm. in elementary schools and teaching them about native plants and 
getting kids excited about nature. And they do a lot of that with the edible uh, – the food, not, the, the food forest, the they food have, forest yeah. that they have at the Sourland Conservancy, and there's a lot. The, the, that amount of education, especially to a younger generation, is so inspiring that it's funny to hear you talk about us that way because we're talking about you that yep. <laughs> that what that way. So thank you for everything you're doing, and we appreciate the kind words. I'm trying to deflect it. I know you're supposed yeah. to accept that, and it's a gift. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Don't mean to deflect, but we want to make sure we acknowledge you mm-hmm. too for. For everything that you do, yeah, definitely. So, no, no, grow read a book. Uh, no, I not a pertinent book. I did, I did listen to the audiobook of Thinking Fast and Slow. I doesn't really apply to plants okay. at all, <laughs> and it probably wasn't a great book to listen to as an audiobook because they kept saying, "Please refer to page twenty six's diagram and answer this question." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, I have no idea what that is." <laughs> but they did have some really cool questions there. I, I asked, I would come, in, I would listen to this book, and I'd come in the office and say, "Hey, friend." If it oh this was a good one, a a bat and a ball cost a dollar and ten cents when you buy them yeah. together. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the how much do they each cost? See, you've already asked me this, so I know the yeah. answer. Yeah. But it stymied me. It literally yeah. stopped me in my tracks. Like it stood me up, and yeah. I was like, oh, like, and it took. Yeah. My brain just wasn't ready to think that fast. Yeah, yeah. How much? Yeah, how much does the ball cost? Is what the yeah. question was. Yeah, and um, yeah, maybe I'll maybe that'll be my secret at the end. So Ooh. you got to wait to the end to actually uh, find, right. find the answer. <laughs> but there was another one that like it was just talking about how you have like a, a first system brain and a second system brain yeah. and how um, so like your first system is basically your intuition. When someone asks you a question, um, most people when I just had that thing, I just asked that phrase, what co- or how much does the ball cost? Uh, most people say ten cents, but if the bat costs a dollar more than the ball, then you'd have to be a dollar twenty cents. Yeah, so that's not the answer. Yeah. Um, but that's that's your intuition just says, oh, it's it's ten cents. Yeah. But then when you actually break it down and think about it more, you're like, oh, okay, no, that's not it. Um, and how that's why it's so easy to drive on the highway at seventy miles an hour, but it's really difficult to make a left hand turn in the city. Yeah, because you really got to. You can't use intuition. You got to slow down and really process how many cars are coming. Are the pedestrians? Is the right? Is the light the right color? There's so many other things going on. You got to really slow down your thinking, and it's um, basically just it was just like telling you how to maximize that those processes. I like it. Like the other one that the other question I came in and asked was, um, or what they pointed out is a lot of people say if you ask, oh, what is the like the crime rate rate in Michigan? will answer a lower number than what is the crime rate in Detroit, even though Detroit is in Michigan, because they affiliate Michigan when they hear that. Their intuition says, oh, there's lakes and there's peaceful, and I get to meet Tim Allen, and then, <laughs> <laughs> which may or may not be a good yeah. thing. It may yeah. increase the crime rate for some people. but um, And then when you think Detroit, you don't yeah. think of those things. Yeah. Uh, you think of a higher crime rate. And um, But when people are asked about that, they'd, they'd answer a higher number for like the total amount of crimes than there were for the total yeah. of their answer for Michigan, just because they were going with their first intuition. There was all these different examples. Of that. It was a really fascinating book, really long book. Um, again, I'd advise reading it so you can actually see these diagrams and answer the questions when they say, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, answer this question, instead of having them tell you the answer yeah. right away. So, all right. no, so I, that's uh, a really quick go read a book where we didn't play the jingle. I have a... I have a question for you. All right. So just a little bit of listener feedback. And it was done in a, a yeah. jesting. They weren't oh, okay, complaining yeah. but yeah. about me that I say the word great a lot. Mm-hmm. 
now without thinking about it, I, I recorded it all yeah. today without th- did I say great a lot oh, today? I have no idea. I have no I idea. Say either. Like, I I say super super a lot. Like I repeat those two a lot. I know. I say great and awesome, but it will rotate. Like yeah. it will eventually instead of great, I'll be like, Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I think I say incredible. super super to keep it clean. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <one thing. laughs> I'm like but instead the, of like this is Bleep and bleep. But, but it, it was a listener that was commenting about our banter. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, the other feedback that we did get was that the lightning round was you oh, know, yeah. a hit. Yeah. Like a lot of people really like the lightning round. So mm-hmm. I think if we have a returning guest, mm-hmm. instead of asking favorite native plant, we come up with a lightning yeah. round for them. Yeah, because I could see that going over. I could see it going really well with some guests. Yes, and I could see I some some really distinguished people that we would have on being no, like, I don't see that happening. What, why are you asking uh, about what kind of cheese stick? I like. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that happening. But, so, but yeah, I, I can't wait to like customize it for, for, a certain for guest. Kelly Gill and for, for oh, Kyle Weiberger okay. and like those kind of people. I can't wait to customize it just for them. I agree. Um, I'm going to ask Kelly all about Iowa. <laughs> but we have some great guests coming up too. Can we? You want to talk? We're actually booked yeah. oh, out yeah. for the next three guests, four guests, yeah, at least. Yeah, four guests. I, I know we have. Do you, we're going to say who it yeah, is. Yeah, go ahead. So we have Oliver Millman coming on, and he'll actually be our next episode. Mm-hmm. And he's the author of the Insect Crisis. And if it's a book that you have not read, I suggest reading it because it's a fantastic book. So we're looking forward to speaking with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, the organization Children with Nature that works with. Uh, Working with young children, getting acclimated to, to nature, especially children that don't have that access to nature or a mm-hmm. more urban environment and the importance of that. Uh, I'm trying to think. We have uh, Rebecca uh, McMacken, McMacken from yep. uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge Botan- Park. Brooklyn Botanical? Is it Botanical Brooklyn Bridge Park? Brooklyn I think it's Brooklyn Park. Bridge Park. Um, and there's one more, and I can't think of who it is. Do you remember? Uh, I, I don't. Oh, we have uh, – uh, National Park Service. Uh, if oh, you yeah, if yeah. you've listened to their podcast, Headwaters, uh, uh, was it Glacier National Park? Uh, mm-hmm. Perry uh, is going to come on our podcast, and we're going to talk about that a little bit too. So uh, we were very excited that they actually reached out to us uh, about our podcast, and and we wanted to collaborate and have them on. So because yep. it's a it's a podcast that we love. So uh, we we have some really exciting episodes. Plus, that's besides those four, you'll have four buzzes, and who knows what we'll we'll talk about. So, you ready for a take it or leave it? Uh, I am ready because we also don't have a topic. I was gonna say, oh, we could do like the top ten invasive plants we hate or top ten gardening habits we want to change, but uh, I think we're getting a little late in the you day to do that. We're actually almost at an hour. Yeah. So I I say we keep it short yeah. and sweet. Maybe we'll postpone those for the next buzz. Yeah, that's a yeah. good idea. That's a good, especially since since yeah. you have the ideas already, yeah. make it that much easier. Yeah. So my take it or leave it for you are bird feeders. Oh, I'm leafing it. All right, I don't have one. I will never get one. Um, and now there was something that came out, and I I don't want to. I want to preface this and say I had didn't read the article. I said I just saw the headline, and okay. then I saw another headline that kind of contradicted that headline. So I. Read both, read, find yeah. this information and read it on your own. Don't just take what I'm saying as, as true because I didn't read it yet. I have it in my phone to read. But I saw one talking about how there's, um, what's, and I, I, this is true. This part's true is bird flu has jumped from chickens into some wild birds. Okay. And there's, there was an article I saw that was saying, take down your bird feeders now because if you don't, you're going to be spreading bird flu in your yard. And then, uh, then another article, was specifically about New Jersey saying 
you don't have to take down your bird feeders if you're in New Jersey. It's not as bad as what they're saying yeah. yet here. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm still even without that. I am. Uh, I don't want to say I'm anti bird feeder, but I would just I want to have a healthy habitat through native plants. I don't want to supplement it with through bird seed, which really I, I, only helps adult birds and not the whole food web. And I, I agree. I I I think that if you're building habitat, that is bird food mm-hmm. and if you create the right habitat not just food but shelter um and and so many nesting habitat you're going to have all those birds and i noticed i mentioned it on our last podcast with kyle that you know the neighbor had a bird feeder out we didn't do leaf pickup mm-hmm. this year that we had much more bird interaction because yeah. we've been planting native plants so there was habitat there was food they were picking through the the leaves uh there's a lot of native trees mm-hmm. there was just a lot going on for them uh two weeks ago i had hummingbirds in my backyard already uh there's mm-hmm. an eagle that has taken up in the the woods behind mm-hmm. us that that i've seen on a few occasions now mm-hmm. so it's that's just, not eating the bird seed though that's eating no. some of the the other things that come yeah. into the bird seed yes maybe, but. <laughs> exactly but it's it's just exciting to see this change without because we mm-hmm. used to put bird feeders out mm-hmm. so like all winter yeah. and it's you don't need to to have that same interaction yeah so and i know with with um i know with deer i've i found through the i think it was through the national deer alliance they were saying how feeding deer with corn over the winter is actually has some negative con- consequences especially if you don't continue to feed them yeah. throughout the entire winter because now they've come to this food source, but it's a different kind of food than they need at that time of year. And it, it, so it would create some nutritional problems. And I will always wonder if that was, once I heard that, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's the same with like birds and bird seed. And like you think about most of the bird seed, it's not native yeah. bird or seed. It's, um, and I wonder about the nutritional content for those birds that's in the bird seed, but it's, it's food that's available. So they're coming to it, and I I understand the appeal of it because you're getting them to all come to one place. I understand the appeal of hummingbird feeders. You can put it right outside your window. Now the hummingbirds come right to your window versus the plant that's in your your garden. But I don't know. It just seems it's very manufactured. I've always I've wondered if there's invasive species that are in bird seed, so they're eating this and then Maybe. it's spilling and and going in the woods when they're land on the branch and now you've spread invasive plants i've wondered all about all that stuff but haven't had the the ambition to look it up and see if someone else said that but i'm glad we agree a a little side note because my our property is has a steady it's on a grazing trail Mm -hmm. for deer and it's like six to ten deer every night come through Mm -hmm. the yard the property so and as we've been planting natives they're, they're tending to eat what's on that grazing Mm -hmm. trail and maybe they're taking that trail because it's what they want to eat but they keep eating our viburnum trilobum cranberry viburnum Mm -hmm. and my newly planted oak leaf hydrangea Mm -hmm. that seem to be uh favorites and there's a canadian yew in the Mm -hmm. property that they've been really really munching on but they're not really touching any of the other things that have been there for a couple years Mm -hmm. like summer sweet uh virginia sweet spire elderberry uh winterberry holly they don't seem to be they don't really care as much. There's a lot of other food on that that path yeah. for them, but that's what they, they seem to be eating mm-hmm. of mine. I yeah. can't remember if our, our native plant every day if oak leaf hydrangea was supposed to be deer resistant, but they're eating it. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, but it, I, like, I don't want to say bird feeders are bad because I don't no. know that. And I'm not trying to say bird feeders are bad, but uh, like I think they serve a purpose 
for attracting birds. To, so yeah. in a place you can view them. Yes. Uh, you can bring them easily. in closer yeah. to your property, you know, a certain place so you can but I'm sure some, some one of our we have so many smart listeners that are way smarter than us. So I would defer to them if if one of you knows that bird feeders are they're perfectly fine, or they're maybe we should think about having bird feeders a little bit more. Um, write into us, join the or join the Facebook group, post in the Facebook group, and and let us know what you think about bird feeders. I, I'm, I'm sure well. it's, it's population based and uh, migration based, and mm-hmm. also you know severity of yeah. of weather conditions. I didn't even think about that. That like you've seen it with the monarchs with the tropical milkweed, how it'll hold monarch. I guess monarch butterflies will lay eggs on it too late in the year, so then that next generation can't make it down to to Mexico. Um, and I, yeah, I wonder if that's the same thing with birds. They're um, migrating, they're staying at the bird because there's still food there, and now they I, I don't know can't make it to where yeah. they need to go next because it, it the conditions change too rapidly or something like that. Good question. It's um yeah, a lot to think about. It's. I wish it was a lot easier. <laughs> we say it all the time. It's like once you know this stuff, it's like, oh, you're just so sad all the time. And it's it's a series yeah. of choices. I oh I I think I even mentioned this. I really crushed this girl when I told her about. She asked about how good butterfly bush was for butterflies. And I'm like, oh, well, mm. and she, like yeah, she really like put her head down and was sad. And I'm like, oh man, I really wish I didn't have to do that. But I feel bad. Like, is it? Better not to say that. And, and there's parts yeah. of this country where that plant's banned oh, for yeah. being invasive. As well, yeah. I think it's like Washington State and maybe Oregon State are the two states that it's banned. It's more of an issue there than we see here right now, yeah. and perhaps that's climate, but I don't know. Yeah. And crazy. You know, this is a, a little bit of more banter, but plant-related banter is uh, I got a question the other day because I like a lot. I've grown up in this little native plant bubble. So I don't know a lot of these other plants that people talk about. And I'm on the New Jersey Nursery and Landscape Association, and we're talking about um, about the invasive plant bill for that's being proposed in New Jersey. And uh, someone was talking about, um, was asking me uh, if I knew if Vinca, Vinca was on the list. Yeah. And I said, oh, is that invasive? Know what that is? That I had was to look one it up. Of, that was one of the banned plants in Delaware. And um, and that's yeah. So periwinkle. And so I was going to ask you, Fran. Is I I've read that it's invasive, but I don't know enough about the plant to know if it is or not. So to me, it's not as if you're comparing the the invasive ground covers. Mm-hmm. To me, English ivy is much worse because you mm-hmm. get a lot of climbing. I I haven't seen periwinkle climb in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have it in. Our property, it was there previously to us moving in, and it's actually performing like a erosion thing. So we haven't – it's one of the things mm-hmm. we haven't gotten around yeah. to take that in the English ivy. The English ivy – I just had a tree fall on my property that was dying, and it was so riddled with English ivy that it yeah. it, it pulled yeah. it down. Mm-hmm. So right through my fence, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is all throughout the woods, the natural area behind our house. Mm-hmm. Without it. There's no direct – it's not like it's one patch that spreads all the way through. But if you look in the neighbor's property and more mm-hmm. natural areas, it's it's scattered throughout it. Mm-hmm. So – and all yeah. three like that that Euonymus uh, uh, coloratus, which is winter creeper, mm-hmm. the periwinkle, and the English ivy, all three are in everyone's properties and they're all throughout the natural areas. So yeah, it's it's an issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not as bad in some – but I'm sure there's places where it's – yeah. It's it's crawling in every garden in our 
yeah. on our property. So yeah. we've done a lot of like uh, I don't want to say reflection, but ex- exploring without knowing the answers because we can't look up as <laughs> we're going like we usually can. But no, exploring some of these, we're really diving into deep in thought about some of these topics. Yeah. Which I but, love doing that. But those three ground covers were the go-to for ground covers for mm-hmm. for landscapes for the last yeah. thirty or more years. And you know, like anything else that is becoming known as an invasive, it takes time before it becomes mm-hmm. invasive. Maybe yeah. not like mile a minute. Some of these things you don't know, like burning bush. It took the birds to get acclimated to eat the seed. Yep. To spread it before it really. And same with barberry. Like no one was. I don't remember anyone complaining about how invasive those items were mm. 30 years ago yeah. um yeah. but now you do so it takes a little bit of time but those things uh, yeah direct result if you want pictures of my property i can show you how bad right. it is yep so i can go back to that committee and say yep it yeah. should be on the list yeah because that's what we're doing with the njnla is looking at and saying okay is this something that we feel should be on the list or shouldn't and yeah like i said i don't know enough about some of this stuff because i'm not an invasive plant expert to yeah to go through and say, yep, 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 yep. I, th- I think a lot of I think a lot of these states that have these bans did a really good job at researching, and mm-hmm. I think you can look at some of these other states. Like I think Delaware's list is pretty pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, things yeah. like Rosa Sharon, and that's another thing that we see as a problem on our property. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone just posted, I can't remember on Facebook, uh, woods where the entire understory was nothing but barberry, Japanese wow. barberry, wow. like the whole what like. They put a person like twenty yards out for perspective, mm-hmm. and all you could see was barberry. Wow, all around him is understory. So it's yeah, it, it, it's a problem. But unless you see these areas, you don't realize mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah, that they really are. So, so all right, well that's going to wrap us up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you everyone for listening. Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. We're saying thank you to R.J. Comer for our buzz theme music. I think it's synonymous with with these episodes. I don't think we'll ever change that one. I'm no. happy with yeah, our, our like current charts. So yeah. make sure you stream or buy R.J.'s new album on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you uh, consume your music. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. And YouTube at Pinelands Nursery, uh, we have the question and comment line. Thank you, Carolyn, for your your comment today. You can call us at 215-346-6189. One more time, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz and answer it to the best of our ability. And uh, we've already gushed enough about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. It's been wonderful and and loving all the new interaction and members. And, you know, I was thinking back at, like, how it's changed and who like some of the early members were mm-hmm. like some members were really big contributors early yeah. on and have kind of like disappeared. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's some members that were early on that are as big a contributor today as they were back yeah. then. Oh, so yeah. and it's nice to see some new members like taking mm-hmm. that initiative on, too. So yeah, definitely. It's, it's really I feel like it's a community like we haven't really had to sl- mm-hmm. slap anyone's hands for for being intolerant or anything like yeah, that. It's been definitely. like, it's been a, a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. So, Yep. And no, I agree. So uh, you can listen to native plants, healthy planet directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, you're probably going to listen on Apple podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher, really wherever you consume podcasts when you're there, if it's possible, leave a five-star review, leave us a little, leave us a little note. You'll get a shout out right here on our podcast, on our buzz episodes. Um, I love doing those. Uh, you can also find all our podcast merch at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. And um, and I said it last time, we're getting close to uh, taking those profits and giving them to a very, very 
uh, deserving recipient, one of the nonprofits that we get to work with and, uh, and we judge and kind of donate some of that money to them. So, or all that money to them. So, um, we'll be doing that soon. I got to give a little, another status update and see if we hit that metric. I was, I was waiting for us to hit. So, um, yeah. So with that, I am Tom, but I have a secret. All right. What is it? Well, the secret, I guess, is really that, um, I got to give the answer to that. Yes. The question I asked earlier, but I'm actually have another secret too. Okay. And that was, uh, that we have a robin has made a nest in the wreath. My wife puts up like seasonal wreaths on our door. Okay. And um, a robin has made a nest in that wreath. We actually had a bird a couple of years ago that laid a nest there. And we, one night we were getting like an Amazon package off the porch and opened the door and the bird freaked out and oh. flew in the house. And I had to like get it out. <laughs> and we have like a, it's not a cathedral ceiling, but we have really high ceilings in our yeah. living room. And I had to get like this, um, this, we have a pole to change the light bulbs in there with a suction cup yeah. on. I had to get that to like kind of like prod the bird away and get it to the oh, door so fun. I could get it back outside. And um, but yeah, so we have another one. So I'm very careful when I open the door. But it had three eggs, Ooh, nice. uh, of which all three hatched on on Tuesday. That's awesome. So and my wife has been cataloging the entire journey on uh, each when each egg was laid and now that wow. they've all hatched and paddling the whole thing on her Instagram story. And uh, it's she does a great job of, like, lining up the music with, oh, with that's what's awesome. going on. That's so, awesome. So uh, that's been pretty cool. But the answer to the question from the book, yeah. Thinking Fast and Slow, of uh, of a ball and a bat costs $1.10. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Is the ball cost five cents? So for the, ball, the more, bat is a dollar more. It's a dollar five. You add them together, it's dollar ten cents. But there you go. not intuitive. No, so, no, yeah. not at all. Awesome. So, awesome. All right. With that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom, and I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. Coming up next week, we do have Oliver Millman of the Insect Crisis. Hopefully, he doesn't get uh, called out to assignment again. So that was uh, a little bit of craziness last time, but we're looking forward to our conversation with them. So we'll see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.